And we are recording on Monday, July 17th, 2023 at 5 or 6 p.m. Eastern Time with Mr. Matt Eric, who's You've been on here a couple times before, and uh, today's episode is... um. It's in the description. It's it's gonna be the at least kickoff point of a video you sent me um, about about China's election interference and is it CSIS or CISA, which I had never heard of before. I'd heard of I've heard of Five Eyes. Obviously heard of NATO. I feel like I've heard of a lot of these things. The only thing I've ever maybe I have heard of it before. I think James Bamford might have talked about it in his book about the NSA. But <coughs> can you well real quick? Uh, can you introduce yourself? But then kind of explain where we're going with this yeah of course of course and it's always a pleasure to just chat uh this is gonna be a i'm, I'm pretty sure a little bit of a laid-back chat and that's a good thing but also um one thing to keep in mind most people if you're listening to to this show right now on youtube or wherever it's it's you probably don't don't stream this on youtube anymore I'm right? i've been banned from youtube for over for almost yeah, yeah. two years right. we're on rumble and spotify yeah there you go and you're wondering like what is this thesis thing um, don't feel bad. Most people don't really know what it is. And even Canadians don't really have a clear idea, even though this is kind of the equivalent to the Canadian CIA. Um, it's really not something people understand too concretely. It interfaces very closely with the five eyes and five eyes due to Edward Snowden's, uh, work over the past decade. People have become a little bit more familiar with that term, uh, generally as far as, um, an international, intelligence dragnet that was begun after world war ii in a serious form in the current form that we currently know it that involves pretty much the the anglo-saxon five eyes sort of the white part of the british empire australia canada the uk and uh, new zealand with the united states that's and and the the core of the intelligence gathering um both both as far as gathering but also as far as counterintelligence and and and, and um, intelligence warfare is carried out through the five eyes which have increasingly become the um the eyes and ears and also fingers of nato okay. um which was set up around the same time so the five eyes was created with the uk usa signals agreement in 1946 the same day on march 6th that winston churchill gives his famous iron curtain speech and basically calls for a new type of set of rules to manage the world around this uh, idea that America's former allies that work together with the United States to fight the Nazi war machine are now all of a sudden going to become rebranded as our enemies and all of a sudden our enemies oh, like yeah, Japan and, and Germany are going to yeah. become our friends um, that was that was all done at the, at the stroke of the Winston Churchill Anglo-American program um, in 46 same day they created the UK USA signals agreement that enmeshed the the newly forming CIA that was brought online fully about a year later into the GCHQ MI6 oper operation. Canada was soon brought in, so was Australia and these other things. And um, and the world's been sort of uh, misshapen, perverted for the past 70 years or more by this uh, this beast. And um, CSIS is sort of the, the Canadian, it's called the Canadian Security Intelligence um, Service. And, um, and this plays a key role in, in the question of is China What's China up to in Canada? Since a lot of Canadians are being revved in the same way that Democrats in the United States were revved around Russiagate and the, the big bad Ruskies that used Donald Trump and overthrew the Democratic elections of Hillary Clinton that was she was supposed to be our president in 2016. And, and, and left-wing Americans were turned into radical McCarthyite freaks during four years of that. And, and it continues. The same operation formula to the T is being applied to Canadians, but now targeting and 
the profile, the very profiled, more conservative right-wing groups of Canada around the same story, but now instead of Russia interfering in the Canadian democratic process, it's China. And uh, and so, I, you know, we, we did a little, my team and myself did a little documentary recently. We released it a few days ago, uh, dealing with the question of, is this legit? CSIS says it is. CSIS is our, our CIA. They have classified reports, anonymous sources that tell them that it is true, that China has has put their puppet Justin Trudeau into power and they've infiltrated and taken over our government. But is it true? Upon what information or evidence is this whole story based, which is driving people into a bit of a frenzy? So we just unpack that in some great greater detail. So wait, I'm, I'm, I'm confused. Is it is it they're accusing the right of being backed by China or they're accusing Trudeau of being backed by China? Oh, Trudeau. So that's interesting. We're doing a flip, right? It was yeah. the Democrats blaming the conservatives and now it's arguably conservatives blaming more liberal sides like Justin Trudeau mm. with China. So somebody's mm. just pulling the old switcheroo, which switcheroo. really just gives more credence to like a uniparty. Like, totally. It'd be one thing if it was going towards like a conservative PM. You'd be like, oh, they're just using the same playbook that they used against Trump, but they're using it against a a liberal guy. So yeah, yeah that just makes me think all the more it's just a uniparty. <laughs> like Yeah, exactly. It's not even like he's yeah. another conservative guy. It's no, he's the opposite. And they're saying it's a, a foreign communist with a red flag. Same shit. Yes. It's the exact same shit. Exactly. And it was used throughout the Cold War yeah. nonstop. And anybody who looks at the Cold War objectively and, and see, it was a complete imperial takeover. It was a period where the West became a basket case of, um, I mean, run by by an, a fascist FBI mm-hmm. intelligence apparatus that took, that had, I mean, J. Edgar Hoover oversaw, he was in, in power it, overseeing America's secret police agency the fbi over and he was there at the helm during the course of eight american presidencies that's fucking nuts yeah and you had americans people forget how crazy it was because we blanked it out because it was so traumatic for so many americans um we, we compartmentalized it and like blanked it out and nobody talks about it but you had americans ratting on their neighbors to the state department you know you had children ratting on their parents if they're if they overheard their parents speaking politically about like anti-imperialism or something they were students were taught to go to teacher in school who would then report them to the state department and then if these were parents who worked for the government for the civil service or anything they would immediately have their their jobs destroyed sometimes they would go to jail they would get arrested they get they'd get raided they had their security clearances just like canceled obviously very quickly and this was all done like the usa became a basket case um, during the, the, the 1945, all, all the way up until, I mean, you could say that the current situation of, of insanity is largely the consequence of us having not resolved what happened to us in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. And I mean, we, we had our leaders, you know, cut down. John F. Kennedy was just one. Bobby Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Fred Hampton, um, who, I mean, the, every, every anti-imperial leader, it, both from the presidency as well from the, the civil rights movement, um, were killed by what has been proven again and again. I mean, there's been books, documentaries, thorough research written in each of these case studies that this was done by America's own intelligence agencies, the CIA, the FBI primarily, but also when you add a little bit of research to it, you discover the hand of Anglo-Canadian, British direction through all of these things. 
Um, we had Americans who should have known better, who who learned to shut the hell up and go go along to get along, or else they'll you know get in trouble, lose their jobs, or get killed. Um, and it was all done in the in the guise of or under the veneer of saving us from big bad commies. And I mean, if you think about it, one of the ways that we were done, we, we were tricked into accepting this loss of our freedoms in order to create a, a, a sphere of security back in those days was this massive uh, domestic terrorist phenomenon. Throughout the 1960s and 70s, you had things like the weather underground in America, planting mailbox bombs all over the United States. I mean, people were, were disfigured across Canada. We had um, the FLQ, the, the Front de Libération de Québec. We had, we had liberation movements nominally all, all the way across Denmark, uh, uh, Germany, France, uh, everywhere in, in the transatlantic, who were these cells of terrorists, nominally Marxist-Leninist terrorists, Maoists oftentimes, but when you scratch on the surface, and again, the new video that that uh, my my team and I published, we go through a lot of this stuff. When you scratch on the surface, even just a little bit, you start discovering that it was the same FBI, J. Edgar Hoover, Alan Dulles, CIA operation behind all of these nominally communist terrorist groups that killed people, killed statesmen, like leading statesmen, including um, Aldo Moro of, of Italy, who was trying to create a, an anti-imperial coalition in Italy about or around uniting the socialists of Italy in the 1970s with the more reasonable conservatives together to create um, a movement of authentic progress against empire. He was killed by this whole Red Brigades operation that was, as we later found out, run by a Freemasonic outfit tied to MI6 known as the P2 Lodge. Yeah. Um, his body was ritualistically, ritualistically uh, killed and mutilated and put in a, in a car uh, at the halfway mark between the headquarters of both the right-wing and democratic part and the left-wing parties of Italy as a little symbolic message saying this is what happens when you try to break the formula. Um, same thing happened in Quebec under uh, a branch of the RCMP that was working with this. And 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 this is what ran the FLQ that ran bombing bombing campaigns in the hundreds all across Quebec in the, the 60s that led to martial law under the first Pierre Elliott Trudeau government. And it was a branch, a special operations branch of the RCMP that did that as well. Um, and it was discovered during the church committee hearings in the United States, you had the same at the same time Canadian hearings around the McDonald Commission in Canada that proved that the special operations branch of the RCMP that interfaced directly with Pierre Elliott Trudeau was coordinating with the military to create martial law, but also was found and caught red handed managing the FLQ terrorist cells that created a dragnet again, a, a, a takeover of Quebec and the murder of our deputy premier, uh, somebody named Pierre Laporte who was uh, probably the last authentic Christian um, statesman in, in Quebec, who was, again, murdered with a, with a cross. He was, he was killed with a, with a necklace with a cross on it, and his body was planted in a car, same way that they killed Aldo Moro. And the whole thing was done by a grouping that when you actually look at who this, who this grouping was, these were the same people that when they were found out to have been the cause of terrorism in Canada through the McDonald and, and an earlier commission in, in Canada called the uh, Quebec called the Keeble Commission in 1977, they were told, well, you, the RCMP special operations branch is not allowed to do this anymore. They're too sloppy. And you have to now create a new civ pseudo civilian privy council agency that, to do the job instead, which was set up in 1983. And that organization that they created 
The same people that ran that operation created this new organization. It was called CSIS, the Canadian Security Intelligence uh, Service, which uh, continued the operation. And again, we, we unpacked some of the things that CSIS was caught red-handed doing since 1983. Um, the same around the same month, I think that the the CIA created a new front group in the United States called the National Endowment for Democracy, which was basically assigned to take the same shit that the CIA was doing, overthrowing governments internationally, killing and killing troublesome nationalist leaders and, and moving it over into the functions of this new civilian agency funded by the government called the National Endowment for Democracy, both 1983, both cases, and both basically rebranded these um, embarrassing um, things that were being done by our, our patriotic Five Eyes intelligence agencies and kept doing it and still do it to this very day. Um, so we just unpacked some of these examples as far as like, well, you know, how did the shift gears for the fight against Islamic terrorism after the Soviet Union collapsed? How did this, how did this express itself during the white supremacist organizations like Canada's Heritage Front, um, which was itself founded by a, uh, a Canadian CSIS agent named uh, Grant Bristol, who was the uh, the founder and leader of the white supremacist domestic terrorist group in Canada, Heritage Front. They did, you know, Fifth Estate exposés on primetime TV back in the 90s when, when things were, I guess, a little less controlled, showcasing this. This is not conspiracy theory, land, or this is not unproven, unproven conspiracy theories. This is, this is fact. Um, and people have forgotten this, and that's why I think a lot of otherwise good-hearted Canadians who are just pissed off about the Great Reset and they're, they're, they're looking for an enemy image are not recognizing that CSIS, which is exposing the Chinese boogeymen infiltrating their government, is not this patriotic intelligence agency that that cares about Canada's freedom the way we've been told. But it's the, that is the hand through which British intelligence and this, this international oligarchy has infiltrated and truly taken over our government as a foreign agency and they're giving us this feeding of, of fake information about big bad Russia and or big bad China or some mix of the two, just the same way they did throughout the entirety of the Cold War. Same formula, no different, same thing. So so do you think that they're setting up a, a new Cold War? I think that I've got, been going on that for a couple months now. I think we're, actually I think from last year, that we're, you know, Russia invading Ukraine and we're going to back Ukraine and it's going to push Russia into the arms of China. And China's going to accept them, and it's going to conveniently come out that China did COVID, and they're going to be going for Taiwan. And now with this piece of the puzzle, it seems like we are just building up a new Cold War. They don't want nuclear war. Nobody makes money on nuclear war. But we seem to want a new Cold War. And because you can run it for decades, it's so much more profitable than a 10-year war in Nam. And you can also just erode civil liberties. Yeah, I guess for me, I think about what you're saying too a lot. And I'm, I always think to myself, like, to what degree would they risk allowing the coal to go hot? You know, and I, I guess for me, one of the big concerns, because there's a lot of similarities to the Cold War, obviously, but there's differences too. And one of the key differences today is that unlike the Cold War, the Western transatlantic sort of the, the, the center of the rules-based international order that has the city of London, Wall Street sort of financial core at the uh, the heart of the beast. It's no longer the, the driving central dominant financial power of the world anymore, which it was, especially after World War II, all the way through the Cold War. It was like the USA and Europe were the dominant 
advanced that's the first world countries right that's the the, the label they gave themselves but because they had the most in, advanced industrial base science base economic structure so they had that play russia china uh were all hell of a lot weaker like china was practically a third world country with an average life expectancy of something like 46 years of age in the 1960s um russia was a little bit more advanced in terms of popular like economy but it was still especially from the late 50s onward it was it became really stagnant all of the innovation was all locked up in the military and unlike the united states and the and the broader west there was no, not really any channels to um to bring innovation that was being developed in the military systems into the civilian uh economy which the us had they had more of a bridge so obviously the, like the military has always been a zone where you have like the greatest density of of a lot of cutting edge science and technology um because it's a goal i mean the, the nature of military systems is goal orientation you know like win um win a war win win you know it whenever you have a goal orientation where it's like no financial constraints just get your prototypes tested you know you innovate as much as you can that's going to drive creativity but if it's all locked up and there's no channel to the to the civilian sector then it gets lopsided like like it did during the Soviet Union. So the Soviet Union they're still using like 1950s uh farming farming tools in the 1980s even though they could have easily have innovated the way the west had done, but they didn't. It was the nature of their structure of their mechanistic systems. So it all like sort of melted down. But they were always weaker than the west whereas today if you look at the BRICS and the BRICS plus which is now like you've got something like 20 plus countries also waiting to join the BRICS plus nations. Um Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, China being the primary economic driver, but they're all they're all creating massive surpluses at, a, at and at growing at faster rates than the United States. But you have Algeria, you got Bangladesh, you got Egypt, you got Saudi Arabia uh waiting to get on board uh Argentina. Like there's a lot of countries. It's a big list, like something like 10 African countries. So, and it's growing by it's growing by the day. So, that now represents a far bigger um purchasing like purchasing power but also a uh, per capita gdp growth function than anything you have in the europe or usa which is collapsing on every metric you could imagine the banking system is a giant debt based bubble the people are debt slaved in the united states and the west we've we've hollowed out our 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 manufacturing we lost it and we're all like being told by the oligarchy that's been managing this shit show that we have to now like get ready for the green transition where we're going to produce even less yeah. by like somehow like having windmills and solar power. So for me, like that creates a crisis ontologically around like, can they tolerate the, the, I'm... the self immolation of their Western banking system and capacity to do things while at the same time having, um, an integrated multipolar system of growth and, and, and excellence. Like they don't do media mediocrity on science or engineering or anything in Eurasia, but we do, yeah. we've normalized mediocrity. So can we do that? Or do, does it require some sort of a flipping over the, of the chessboard that somehow might entail by some fanatical leap of, of, um, gymna mental gymnastics, the need for launching nuclear war, which for me, that's where I'm like, maybe they might actually, this might actually be something that they go with at this point, maybe, cause they don't really care about money. They, they more or less just care about keeping their ideological, you know, new world order game plan 
that they've like religiously committed themselves to intact, which is insane, but, and it's not really to their advantage. It's not to the advantage of anybody to have a world burnt by nuclear bombs, but are they rational or is the oligarchy animated by rational self-interest? And I don't think that they ultimately are at the end of the day. So I'm a little concerned by the potential, the potential of a hot war, not just a cold war, but a hot war. Yeah, you know, if if we're going to, you know, if the Cold War, I mean, one idea of the Cold War is that it was never going to go hot because at the very top, it was the same people pulling all the strings. I don't know if I necessarily believe that, but if we just take that idea and run with it and say that's what's going on right now and there is no risk of it going hot, but then why would we do this? Why would we create an external enemy while, as you said, do a self-immolation? Well, I think the answer is obvious then. This is this is how they're going to take down the West. And doesn't make sense from our point of view, because we're like, why would you destroy yourselves? But if the people at the very apex are transnational in, in nature, they might just be going, yeah, we're, no, we're doing a new Cold War, but this one's not for y'all. <laughs> this is for the other side of the world. We're shifting. We're riding the natural flow of, of empire and we're gonna, right. it's going to be the same people running the same shit, but instead of the United States, it'll be China. But it's still going to be the same motherfuckers running it. Well, but that's the thing. So then the challenge is, for the oligarchy, do they have the footing inside of China necessary to reestablish themselves um, as China being the center of command that's, or not? And that's where I think my kind of idea falls, falls flat. It's like, yeah, if they had all like moved to China, it would be a lot more... I feel like this is where it's going, but yeah, no, they're not going to just give up the power. I really do believe they chose the United States to kind of thrive or at least make it the center because of its geographic location. I mean, if you're playing, you know, as the elite, yeah, I really do think you choose the United States because it's separated by two fucking oceans and has granite mountains. I really think that like that's a, it's a non zero percent chance of it is that, and from that point of view, I also don't see why you go to China. But more importantly, yeah, I don't see them giving up power. All the guys with their penthouses and Bugattis here, they're not going to... You go, yeah, we're going to shift the power structure over to Asia for the next 200 years. You're sitting here, you're going, yeah, over my dead fucking body. And you're going to have well, groups of them going, hey, it's all fucking... And then they can wrap themselves in the flag and go, it's for America. And they're not technically wrong, right? It's all horseshit, yeah. but... That's what I think we're probably going to see. Well, I, I think that again, it's it's good to have um, when you're lost, like when you're when you're traveling at sea. And I shouldn't say lost, but when you're traveling at sea, it's always important to have a sort of guiding north star yeah. to reference back to. And when dealing with some of the complexities of the world we live in, the messiness of uh, human history. Which is complex, you know. It's it's a it's a it's a messy. There's nuance, but um, I think it's important to have like an equivalent idea of a of a principled north star guiding the the judgment. So for me, one of the um, the core standards I I tend to use is the um, the concept of closed versus open systems, or like the systems that require human beings be made stupider and depopulated to be better controlled by a master class versus systems 
that are premised around the idea that human beings must leap beyond the limits to growth in improving the quality of life of ourselves, our future, our posterity, and, and even nature itself, um, which might use similar nominal wording depending if you're a representative, an advocate of one or the other system, you might find similar words that you will use as your enemy. But the very ideas of how the world works, the what human nature is, what the, the concepts of government, law, purpose, design, all of these concepts are going to be very different. You'll have very different concepts of all of these things. Um, so, like, for example, you know, like, freedom might be the same word freedom like everybody uses the word freedom but one might be the freedom to uh rape and pillage or by by an inner nobility of hereditary elites and the other might be the freedom to activate and actualize my innate creative powers of love and reason and and conscience you know like two very different ideas and i think when you look at the writings of the founding fathers um ben franklin a lot of the the best leading figures who made that shift in history they all had a sort of sensitivity to the difference of these two, the false freedom and the, and the authentic freedom, and what type of type of government would better um, make, make would better realize that potential of that better, higher, authentic freedom in the long run, even though they knew it wouldn't be a you know a magical a magic wand that could just make everybody good. Um, so today, you know, we're at, we're at a point where. I see sort of the dynamics like I when when you when you look at the commitments and the and by this I mean you know the policy economic political security commitments cultural policies of the Eurasian multipolar alliance cuz I shouldn't say Eurasian cuz it's more than Eurasia it's 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 like I was saying you know it's a big chunk of Africa it's a big chunk of of Latin and Caribbean America it's it's increasingly like everybody that got fucked over by globalization <laughs> hardcore is now increasingly seeing okay there's another boat in town for the first time ever that seems to actually have viability and floats whereas mm -hmm. this one that we're being told to 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 keep loyal to has got like a built-in self-destruction yeah like a bomb built into it into the yeah. hull it's collapsing and we're supposed to like hold on to this thing yeah so it's based on an idea of like if I look at what they're doing, not just what they're saying, but what they're doing, and and then compare it to what what the leaders of those countries that are making policy are saying as well, I see a sort of coherence to something that I recognize in in my history when I when I research the deep history and, and even more recent history from recent being like Bobby John F Kennedy, and I go I go further back in the better part of American history or or European history going back to you know. Uh, Colbert, Mazarin of France, who organized the, the the Treaty of Westphalia in 1648 that ended the religious wars that were itself funded by the by the oligarchy. Or I go further back to the those who initiated the Golden Renaissance that that broke the West or the Europe, Europe free of the idea of feudal slave societies where only some had access to literacy. But you know the Renaissance was a, a not just a scientific or artistic but political revolution as well in the 15th century. Um, and I could see that I could go back even further to the Carolingian Empire of the of the 8th and 9th centuries, or I can go further back into into ancient ancient Rome, the, the how Rome be, fell from being a republic into an empire with the killing of Cicero and the and the turn towards imperialism, or further back into Athens, right? But I, I see that there there's something I recognize in what has emerged, especially since 
over the last 20 or so years in, in a more visceral way in uh, with the leadership of Russia, China, and a broader alliance of nations, Iran, uh, which have basically said, faced with the oncoming collapse, they're, they're putting forth a system of policies that are very long-term, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, in some cases, 50-year projects that, that they've put online. So they're thinking much more further, like long-term than we are. And they're much more based on leaping over the limits to growth, on, on rejecting the idea of depopulation. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's like something I can I can recognize and I can say, okay, you're authentic. Yeah. Because a lot of people, a... I say this because a lot of people say, oh yeah, but is China just another conduit for the empire to enslave us? Is it just controlled opposition? And I have to then choose: it, do I do I agree with that thesis, or do I see evidence that that thesis is lacking? And that's why I'm saying what I'm saying just now because I really do see that it's lacking, and it ignores a big swath, a big spectrum of reality and historic precedent that was what what I'm looking at. And I'm saying, okay, no, it's it's a legit fight against this empire and something we could be working with in, instead of choosing to go to war with or uh, fear and hate. It kind of sucks. They're like communist and genocidal you know that whole part it's like their growth is respectable like their their dedication to like science and technology and mathematics and medicine and space travel you're like hell yeah it's just like burgeoning what do they do it's like well you also you have social credits and you know you'll be kidnapped in the middle of the night and they're jailing of what two million Uyghurs but on the other hand it does also. Yeah, say, but don't worry about the Uyghur thing. I'm, that's actually going to be the, the video. And by the way, if anybody's listening to this, check out the new video that we did. I, I think Tommy will put it in the it's, it's in, in the, the description, description box. Yeah, uh, it's it's a fun little video. I hope you I hope everybody likes it. But it's episode three of an ongoing series. And part of what I'm doing with the series uh, with my wife and and my uh, my friend Jason Dahl, who's a, a, a brilliant filmmaker, um, we're taking some of the tropes that have been put forth by CSIS, the CIA, FBI, MI6 to try to get us to become afraid of Russia and or China or some mix. And we're just objectively looking at, well, upon what evidence are a lot of these tropes based? Um, so currently, like, yeah, we took the, the China election interference into Canada that Canadians are being driven, like I said, into a frenzy around. China has put, you know, has infiltrated the Canadian elections. Uh, again, no evidence that it's true, uh, but they say it and repeat it. And so people end up believing it, even though there's no evidence. Uh, the second thing that we did, episode two before this, this is episode three. Episode two was actually on Russiagate. So we, we took a, a shift of gears. We looked at the, the evidence for Russiagate being hoaxed. Evident, episode one was on the Chinese police stations. That was the first one we did. It's, it's about 10 minutes long. And it's on, is it true? You know, we're all being told that there's Chinese police stations out there in Canada and the United States and Europe. Um, we proved that it's not true. It's all made up, made believe. Um, not true. But, uh, and we don't have to, I don't, know, I don't know if we have time to go. Th- well, if you want to pr- see if what I'm saying is true, watch the video. Um, if you can, Tommy, could you make that available in the description box? Yeah. Okay, cool. And so the next one we're going to do, episode four, is going to be on the Uyghur genocide thing. Because the whole Canadian government, all parties, liberal, conservative, NDP, they all voted unanimously to condemn China, sanction China for being a genocide country for what they've done to the, the, the Uyghurs, the Muslims living in the West in Xinjiang. So we ask, well, is that true? Is the evidence upon which that entire unanimous uh, gov- Canadian government decision was based, is that based upon true evidence or is it made make-believe as well? 
And uh, yeah, sure enough, that's also going to be proven. We're going to demonstrate that that's a complete uh, fiction that was cooked up by a National Endowment for Democracy, a CIA-funded um, a front group that created something called the World Uyghur Co Congress. And uh, it's a fake group that has no connection whatsoever to anybody actually living in China per se. Um, it's funded by the CIA through a conduit called the NED, that same thing I was talking about at the beginning that was set up in 1983, that admitted that, that had leaders of the NED admit they're doing the same thing that the CIA was doing for decades that they still do. Um, they cr they literally make up things that are then promoted in sort of um, alt meat like the alt media has become infested with um, British and CIA front groups like Epoch Times for example it's it's an or something people off I I like it because they they actually do cover some pretty good U.S. domestic policy stuff and uh, they're they're pro Trump and I I like Trump but. Um, it's it's a bit of a Delphic front group because once they get you in through the attraction of some of their domestic analysis or cultural analysis, which is also pretty good, then everything you start believing about foreign policy that they have to say uh, turns out to be bunk, um, especially on China. And so that's something which we did a whole chapter in our new uh, our new book on uh, what is Epoch Times, what is funding it, who is behind it, what is what is Falun Gong, this poor group of 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 you know um uh, peace peace loving qigong practitioners of china who have been persecuted and had their organs stolen by the big bad chinese vampires who love eating their tasty organs what what is this group why why is its leader living in a 400 acre compound in new york state protected by the cia since 1999 who is this guy, Li Hongji, who, who says he's an intergalactic messiah protecting humanity from forces from other dimensions of aliens that want to suck our fear energy? Wait. Who is this guy who then Wait. created Falun Gong and funds Epoch Times? Is that all true? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all true. Fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, so we are. They're just teeing up war. That's all it is. We're just teeing up war. We're just dr and I'm not saying it's going to work. It's, you know, it's, are we just, have we just gone so far off the reservation that I saw a quote the other day and it was like concerning the Belt and Road Initiative. And it was like, China build, or the China, China gives us some leader of a country goes, China gives us airports. The U S gives us lectures. And it's like, that's, that is the currency that most of the world talks in. We don't have running water or, or, or access to food. Like, you don't really give a shit about, you know, which movie star chopped their dick off or something, right? And <laughs> so, but that's where it kind of feels like we're going is like, no, I do think, well, I'll, I'll, I'll back, I'll, I'll reaffirm what I said earlier. I do think we're pushing for a Cold War, but I don't think it's like, I think we're a little too cocky. I think we think it's still oh. like, the, we still think it's the 40s and 50s. Dude, yeah, that's the problem. See, for me, okay. that's my that's my concern. We're so fucking cocky. We're we, the we still think it's like who have sensitive ears, but no, yeah, we're so up. cocky. No, we still think it's 1950s, like nuclear family, fucking yeah. like Andy Griffith, like just building strategic air command, just butt fucking countries in South America for the CIA, and it's like, dog, we're not that. We're not that anymore. Like we still have a massive military, sure, but it's not as one-sided as it was 70 years ago not at all 
No. We're, we're like, like we're like kind of bigger than them. Well, it's quality over quantity, right? Like we monetarily, we we still the US military budget is crazy. It's like hitting 800 billion dollars yeah. a year, right? Of which the Pentagon cannot seem to account for something like what Catherine Austin Fitz said something like $21 billion or something accumulatively is not accounted for. I think trillion. Or trillion, trillion. No, I said billion. Trillion. You're off by a thousand fold. Fucking hell. So, yeah. And then it's like, well, maybe we aren't that cocky. Where is that 21 trillion? Maybe they bring you in a dark room and they show you the orbital laser system. You go, oh, yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. Fuck (laughs) them. Fuck them. Yeah. No, I get it. Yeah, sure. Bomb Taiwan. No, we got this. That's the other (laughs) thing, man. It's like part of me is like, Maybe they're cocky and for good reason. Like, maybe the reason why we are so, like, fucking, like, gung-ho to be like, yeah, we just need a preemptive nuclear strike in Russia. Maybe it's because they fucking pull you into, like, some Senate subcommittee skiff and they go, yeah, no, so this thing came online in 02. And you're like, oh, shit. And you're like, yeah, no, it's lasers, like, faster than the speed of light. Like, no, they could Yeah, like, we we, we cracked... uh fusion and now we've quantum we had like entanglement matter, cold matter, fusion. anti-matter reactions going non-stop and you're just like, like oh oh yeah fuck it yeah yeah go poke the dragon let's see what happens let's go start some shit like no i know, know. i i I've thought about we're going out too. drinking we're with like, a with a fucking baseball bat like, let's crack some fucking mailboxes <laughs> no my my dad's the governor or the, or the mayor of this town like it's cool dude we're not gonna get arrested <laughs> right it might be that it I cannot, I honestly, I cannot fully, and I hate to say this, I cannot fully discount what you said. I know. That's part, scary. Because we don't know, right? We like, have no we idea. We know a lot. Um, one thing here that I've noticed, um, so how to, the way I try to approach this, when I don't have a direct answer, like I don't have a smoking gun, I don't know what they're doing, cutting edge, secret classified military systems research. I don't know. Yeah. Um, here's what I do know. Okay, so what I can say is that when you have had really cutting-edge creative minds, and having a creative scientific mind is a rare, and it's a rare treasure. Somebody who has developed the time, they have not wasted their time, both in terms of developing an understanding of whatever process, whether in the life sciences, physics, energy, whatever you might imagine. That, that takes so much mental effort to become not only logically proficient at the tools of the trade that you want to master, but then to become also emotionally flexible enough to be creative at it and not just be like, you know, um, an Oompa Loompa, like utilizing yeah. the formulas that you've memorized, but really like a creative original thinker. That is the rarest of the rare of the gems. Um, who are the ones who actually make the limit, the breaking of the limits to growth, like the the new discoveries in whatever they put their minds to. Um, usually it's, it, these are intersectional p- people, like people who are not just like, they're usually people who are not isolated to one myopic specialized field, but can usually, they've learned to think in multiple fields and how these different fields interconnect through matters of principle, like, you know, Einstein and, and Max Planck and, were, were artists, they were musicians, and they both, they all, a lot of these are great scientists from a century or more ago, all attributed their scientific discoveries, their excellence, um, to their ability to have a playful disposition, but with rigor. As Beethoven said, my, my music is as rigorous as it is free. And Beethoven, in large measure, actually, if you look 
at how his mind generated thought and, and creative compositions. It was a very scientific but free, spontaneous process. It had the best of both worlds. So again, I say all of this to get people to really appreciate that the creative minds that generate the advances of science are gems. One thing I've noticed in my geopolitical research is that there has been a tendency, a big tendency, under oligarchical systems in the deep past, short, like more recent past, or our present, let's say the last 50, 60 years, to, um, on the one hand, kill creative thinkers before they could start really producing their discoveries. And you see mm -hmm. this with a lot of the great, you know, minds who are working on alternative like cold fusion tech like there's a lot of scientists Flash who tend to die really mysterious pawn, deaths Posh, huh? was it who's a pawn and fleischman pawns and fleischman pawns. yeah stanley pawns and uh, fleischman yeah the, the, um that guy tom ogle who's making like that water run uh, engine and they found him like shot in the back of the head in the in the desert with a bottle of sleeping pills or something labeled a suicide yeah, yeah right course. yeah th there's so many but, of these but, yeah no case in point yeah so i see that or if they're not working um, for you, if they're not working for your DARPA, then yeah, you got to kill them. If you're the, if you're the hegemon, or what happens oftentimes too, um, like is, is that if they don't kill them, there's a, many examples I've noticed as well of, um, of 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 a creative scientist. Oftentimes they're funded by the private sector or something. They're producing some outside the box approach to developing um, fusion reactors like this guy, Berard, um, I forgot his name, first name, something Berard. He's the father of the scramjet and nuclear fusion rocket in the, under NASA in the 60s. But he developed this polywall um, geometry using platonic solids that would then channel least action pathways of plasmas that would then like congeal into fusion processes starting in the 1980s. And he developed like seven uh, ever improved prototypes until the U.S. Navy came around to write, like, prototype number three and started pouring money into supporting him. And he, he took the cash because he's like, finally, I can breathe a little bit. I don't have to beg billionaires to give me, a, like, a few scraps. I can actually do it with some freedom. And as soon as 2007 rolls around, he's producing, like, prototype number nine. And all of a sudden, he starts breaking the laws of, like, known plasma physics. And at that moment, the U.S. Navy... Uh, really classifies dark. everything, yeah. ices him out. So, and he dies a year later, brokenhearted. He, they don't, they don't kill him, but they took the fruits of what he did. And I'm sure they didn't just scrap it. I'm sure they, they then integrated still working the, on it. <laughs> yeah, but without, without the guy, without, without Burrard, that, that beautiful mind. Yeah, that beautiful mind. I mean, they could, they could put as many Oompa Loompas technocrats yeah. to work with, right. Yeah. So there's like this this glass ceiling of creativity that they tend to put onto themselves on the one hand that de that deprives them of the ability to make the types of 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 breakthroughs that they require to um, to be dominant, and then if otherwise they will actually kill those people who will make those discoveries before they even make the discoveries, which is even worse. Mm -hmm. And then if the third hand culturally, and I'll end it there, is that I've noticed that they tend to also create cultural fields of mediocrity for their victims to become stupider so that they'll be more easily controlled but then they're very seductive fields that require the enhanced the inflammation of our animal passions so that's part of the like if you compare like you know lady gaga or a lot of like the the mindless music and, and artistic sort of enjoyment we're expected to it to calibrate our our souls to under uh, imperial systems it's really banal 
mediocre, usually very sensual, hypersensualized um, things that video games too, you know, like a lot of the stuff just this, it gets very visceral, gets you very into this like situations where you you become less than what you could have been if you had spent your time more wisely by design because they want to control they want us to to become convinced that we're not capable of self-governing ourselves because beasts can't self-govern beasts they need a zookeeper yeah. So you want you want to get people drunk on freedom, right? Say yeah. like, oh, you want freedom? I'll I'll give you as much freaking porn as you want. You're free to have as whatever kind of sensual pleasure you want. You're free. And after a certain amount of time, people will become so disgusted with their own like freedom that they'll beg for a bit of tyranny to give them some security. Yeah. Um, but what happens is that the oligarchy's net, their their degenerate nets, and I, I'm talking here. Even I could look at this, and I've got examples from the 19th century, from the 18th century and earlier as well, they cast nets, which in time end up capturing their own progeny. And so the type of quality of managerial leader that you require to maintain the very maintain complex the systems very of oligarchical thing. management becomes so mediocritized. And uh, like, look at a lot of the the behavioral tr like patterns of some of the, uh, the younger Rothschild, members yeah. of the Rothschild family, they're fucking like dropping it's ecstasy, third, it's third partying generation, on yachts and shit. Yeah, third generation trust fund kid. They're yeah, like they're the not empire. capable they're not. of the type of intellectual rigor and discipline they're that not their the grandparents Dulles, had. They're a shadow of James Jesus Angleton. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah, inherited exactly. it. They inherited it, but like they don't, they're not looking five decades out. They're just getting fucked up and eventually yeah. a, a new hegemon, which I feel like is probably China. They're hungry. They don't have these like yeah, they're not three or four generations in of, like, skull and bones. Well, I mean, China has some corrupt kids. <laughs> sure. <laughs> some really corrupt kids from... They call them the princelings, right? Uh, and prince princesslings. Um, who are, like, you know, the kids born of largely the survivors of the, the long march in the 1930s. In, well, 40s. Um, the, but the kids of the intelligentsia, or the grandkids or great-grandkids of the, the, the first-generation revolutionaries, they, yeah. a lot of them, not all, but many, became hyper-corrupt. And ironically, when you look at, like, where did many of them seek sanctuary to avoid going to jail during the last 10-year crackdown of corruption in China? Because there's been, like, a decade since, since Xi Jinping came into power, he started, like, this hardcore uh, purge of the deep state fifth columnists inside of China. And many of them are centered in Shanghai. That's where the the core of the billionaires have been sort of groomed over the course of many, many decades, since British imperial days. Um, and Hong Kong, that's the other big zone. Um, a lot of them went to Canada, like especially in the last 20 years. We've got this phenomenon in Canada where we, we've absorbed something like 100,000 super rich Chinese, like we're talking $100 million or more uh, super rich Chinese into Vancouver, Toronto, increasingly Quebec, which is like been a part of this British directed deep state where if they stayed in China, they would be in jail. So they were like given sanctuary the same way the Russian oligarchs who like avoided going to jail in Russia when Putin got in, they all went to Britain or Florida, but mostly Britain. Um, and you have like things like, you know, Moscow on the Thames where yeah. all the Russian billionaires live in, in, in London, same thing in Canada where you have like in Vancouver, um, so many billionaire Chinese that are inflating because they're, they're, they're going to spend whatever on housing. It, that's that's one of the things they they it's they they put their money in real estate and they don't ask questions whatever you charge so a lot of the the 
the dealers, the realtors have just said, well, we could just charge what we want. We'll get paid. So they, they just like ramp up the, the price of the, the house or apartment or condo. And a lot of these billionaires buy like, you know, 30, 40 condos and they don't even live in any of them or houses even. And uh, and it jacks up the price for for Canadians who otherwise want to have a family and, and have a house. They can't have a house anymore because the prices are so high. And but then the problem is, see, Epoch Times or a lot of the stupider like follower media groupings in Canada, like Rebel Media, which is a conservative sort of, you know, um, media outlet in Canada, they do some good things. But then they they pick up on this fact and they say, oh, look, Chinese people jacking up the prices of housing. And because there's a little bit of like low level racism and like mm -hmm. all Chinese people are created equal. They're like they're obviously agents of Xi Jinping trying to like destroy our 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 housing market. And oh, look, a lot of them are engaged in international drug traffic too around the Caribbeans. And they're like they ignore the fact that the Caribbean islands that that is where a lot of these Chinese uh, oligarchs who get sanctuary into Canada. That's where they, they build their 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 uh, shell companies. It's true, but mm -hmm. what the fuck is the Caribbeans? It's a British Cayman Islands. It's a British zone of narcotics trafficking, drug money laundering. That's what's controlling these things. They're not. Rep Why do we think that they're the, they're representatives of of the Chinese Communist Party? What if you know, like it's it's like just this myopic uh, programming people have been like that have been built into people's heads since the fifties. And it's all like a spell, a magic spell. It's all been like just revived once again. It was already there, but now it's just gone to the from the subconscious back to the conscience, and people are just uh, falling into profile yet again, not realizing the complexity and the nuance of reality that not all Chinese people are represent, you know, China. Not all white people are represent imperialist IMF overlords you know yeah. like there's good white people and bad white people there's good black people bad white black people good good jews ba bad jews it's it's like there's there's nuance and people are just not inclined to look at nuance anymore they're they want an easy answer that's usually hyper overly simplistic fucking fucks them up at the end of the day <laughs> maybe maybe this is like the brilliance of like the west it's like your best and brightest will still eventually come here either for like the gambling and the pussy or because you're trying to jail them. So it's like we're always just going to get this fluctuation of wealth. Yeah, but if you're if you're are you, you're the best and the brightest of what if you're like obsessed with pussy and gambling, you know, like you could no, be No, no, like no, that that really... that's that's for like the trust fund kids, but it's like still it seems like we're the... kicking out like all the talent we're kicking out like we've we've like that's why there's a giant exodus of skills like Chinese people who had skills who are all being like labeled agents and their their lives are being disrupted or they're being like attacked. There's a lot of cases of like people attacking Chinese people, whether tourists or people working in academia, and they're just like leaving. So China is now getting an absorption of some uh... of the best skilled people of the West whose lives have become unlivable if they remain in the West. Um, and they're just, you know, yeah, they're going back to China and they're going to bring the skill sets that they learned in American, you know, research facilities and, and, and academia and whatever. And they're just going to bring the best of it or, or industry back to China. Um, increasingly not that China really needs it, but China's going to use it and they're going to value it and appreciate it. And they're going to say, thank you, FBI, for fucking cracking down on, <laughs> yeah. on the, uh, the Chinese community. It's, it's a boon to them. It's a loss for us. Do you think we're just going to start a war with China? That's my concern at the end I of the day. I, like, yeah, I think we are. It's like, 
think ultimately it's like we're just gonna kind of like we're gonna try to finesse it, but ultimately like we'll just start it. We'll just fucking do a false flag in Taiwan. Like um, we, we like well, we will. it wouldn't like, probably be. Yeah, it might be Taiwan, but when I look at Taiwan, it's it's a very different thing than like Ukraine because Taiwan is a very like yeah they don't have a very militaristic uh culture like they do in they have in Ukraine. Um, which built up, you know, several generations of Nazi romanticizers un- who worship Stefan Bandera and Nikola Lebed and the Ukrainian, uh, what is it called, the U- Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists, um, all protected by by the CIA and MI6 since the 60s or 50s and 60s. But the, Taiwan doesn't really have so much of that. They have cyber hackers who are a little bit more militant and stupid, but they don't really have the war culture. So it's not so much that, but it's the whole dynamic of like USA and NATO in the Pacific, which is um, concerning, especially in like Japan. You know, like Japan has an unresolved um, militarist culture and, uh, you know, they're they're still an occupied state. They got 50,000 U.S. troops still in Japan, occupying Japan, but they changed their constitution. Not that long, a few years ago, they changed to allow for the first time since World War II of aggressive, of, of Japan participating in a militaristic operation uh, offensively in defense, they say, of an ally. So that's the way they changed their, their pacifist constitution to say, okay, we can now go into a war if we're defending an ally. But what the hell is an ally um, when you're dealing with the U.S. military that has 130,000 U.S. troops in the Pacific, which is growing, and a NATO expansion policy like is is america your ally is like mm, is, is south korea your ally like they're also an occupied u.s satellite stay with twenty eight thousand u.s troops stationed in south korea are they your ally well you know how easy would it be to initiate another proxy war there and then you got taiwan yeah like which is they're just goading china around you know u.s military contracts that are selling arms to taiwan and biden is coming out saying he's going to militarily defend taiwan if china tries to invade this sovereign country but it's like what the fuck is taiwan is taiwan a sovereign country well according to the u.s the u.s state department in every country except for the vatican and like nine other micro countries every country in the world recognizes taiwan as a part of china so it's like what the it's china invading china like you're going to go in and militarily defend a, a, a province of china against another part of china invading china like that's not at all the same thing as the U.S. going in to invade uh, Mexico if Russia had supported, a, you know, um, a militarist movement in Mexico, which is still a bad thing. That's still not justified. But, you know, it's it's that absurd. Like the level of, of – and but it relies upon Americans and Canadians being really totally ignorant to basic elements of like – present day reality like what is taiwan what is hong kong uh what is our basic history why are these like it's yeah basically to your your point i i am also very concerned that the u.s might (laughs) might instigate a a war a hot war that is obviously a concern yeah i think you're looking at it way too rationally like those are all reasons like a normal human being would say yeah no we we can't but I'm looking at it just from the point of view of like, we've got the military bases around the world. Like, I mean, WMDs, Gulf of Tonkin. 
like within 10 years no no one believes any of this shit but it's just over it's just like yeah whatever like what do you I mean like there's no way like it's gonna be stopped so to me I'm like it doesn't even need to be like that good of an argument it'll be the book report written the morning of it'll just be this horse shit premise well it'll just be get on board I mean I guess Unlike unlike the Gulf of Tonkin thing, that Vietnam wasn't even really a country back in the '60s. It, yeah. Like they, you know, it was a, a a loose grouping of communities that didn't have even a, a, a national police force, banking yeah. system, nothing. Whereas China is China, it's it's like the world's leading engine of growth and development, and the, increasingly because their alliance, their their deep alliance with Russia. There's a huge military sharing agreement policy that the driver of peace peace processes in the Middle East, reconstruction programs of Yemen. That's why there's no war in Yemen anymore is because China went in with brilliant backdoor diplomacy or, and even built diplomatic bridges with, with Iran and Saudi Arabia, two arch nemeses. It, that only happened because of China going in and saying, like, smarten up, <laughs> smarten up, stop being a bitch. You have no future with this tanking Titanic thing that wants to – that will – flush you as well, Saudi Arabia, if you continue to play this game. And they provided a much more rational, you know, uh, program for what the world could be if Saudi Arabia cleans up its act, starts thinking about its true self-interest instead of being a proxy for the U.S. Uh, militarists. Um, so China's done a lot. Um, they're, 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 I think, something that really keeps a lot of grand strategists awake at night, um, probably gives, gives them some nightmares. And they can respond. They get, they're a nuclear power with a lot of nu- like a a significant nuclear arsenal, some hypersonic weapons too that they've acquired from their uh, work with Russia. Russia has a whole array of incredible hypersonic um, missile technology as well, which again trumps a lot of the conventional nuclear weapons that at least we know on the surface the West has has uh, committed itself to both ground, air, and uh, sea base uh, weapons. So it, it, it's it's challenging to think how China might be threatened by what the U.S. is currently trying to do with its, you know, global NATO quad, NATO of the Pacific, full spectrum dominance program around their perimeter, um, knowing that they can at the very least retaliate. Like the U.S. might be able to, especially with their submarine force currently, they got a pretty solid chance of nailing some big Chinese cities and Russian cities. It's true. It's true they could do that. And Russia and China have ability to maybe knock down a lot of those attacks, but some would get through and cause a lot of damage. But at the same time, they China and Russia have also demonstrated that they have a huge retaliatory capability that could guarantee the knocking out of most of the Western capitals of the world. So it's like that should be a bit of a disincentive to go that path. Um, it's not the same as Vietnam in that sense. Uh yeah, it's so much more messy. It's it's uh, it's it's difficult to think about, really. Yeah, it's a new cold. But again, I, I I depend upon China's like like China has has saved the world just by virtue of their like Z- Buddhist level. Like they're like their level of temperance and withholding of what would be a most natural. Like if you if you like beat me, my my impulse is to punch you back. That's my impulse as a human who will defend myself. China has taken so many hits and has like had this like Zen state of just like pure patience. Um, it's it's really remarkable. Iran's done quite a bit too. Like they've been provoked quite a bit over many decades, Iran. 
And they've still withheld from some of the more animalistic retaliatory impulses that one might expect from a country that is like, you know, barbaric and, you know, (laughs) all these things we're told they are. Um, That's partially what's, I think, has saved the world so far. Um, Because the the Empire wants to, they can only work if you play by the rules of their game. That's how game theory works, right? Game theory only works if everybody plays by the rules of the game. And part of one of the assumptions of the rules of the game theory game is that everybody has to fight or flight. Either, you know, you're so intimidated by the might of your enemy that you run or you you show your own might in arrogance or whatever pride and fight uh, eye for an eye, you know, revenge style. And it doesn't work if people don't play by the rules of the game. Um, so I'm seeing that there is this like there's this meme of, you know, you've probably seen this like the CIA has picked up on a new Chinese uh, secret plot to sit back and wait for the oh, U.S. Yeah. to collapse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, I think that's sort of the game kind of that they're playing. Like, it's just like, have just, patience. Don't, don't fall into the trap. And they've been trying to organize smaller countries to also not play into the trap. Well, Fucking think, like pull back, have patience. That's the why West I think we're going to start a war. bubble upon a bubble. That's why huh? I think we're going to start a war with them is because I think there are some, probably some military brass going, yeah, if they just wait for another 15 years, like we will implode. So you probably have to. that, frankly. The, the banking collapse is going to happen pretty what, It's already happening. Whatever. Like the, whatever. The, the chains are breaking. Whatever. Yeah. Is, 10 months, I agree with you. Whatever. I agree with you. No, I agree. You're going to have there some are, guys there are, going there are up there. Fanatics. And they're And they're, for better or worse, rightfully or incorrectly, they're going to defend the United States. And they might say, like, yeah, we can't wait for China to start a war. And, like, so they're just going to start it. I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying it's what I think is probably going to happen. Yeah, well, I think your your concern is correct. Um, but that's that's why we need, like, in the case of the U.S., one of the, the points strategically I'm, I'm thinking about is what can save the U.S. or what can induce the U.S. to want to save itself at this late stage of rot. Um, Massive external and- enemy. Oh, no, I don't think I'll save it. I think I'll just plunge it faster into a dark age. But I, I do think, though, that the comp, like the P- S- Seymour Hirsch, mm-hmm. um, who's getting very up and up in years, but he's still producing. That's pretty good. But um, he made a point that he's a he's got a lot of Democratic Party contacts. Um, and he wrote a recent piece where he just made a point that through his, his uh, communications with a lot of these Democratic Party insiders and uh uh establishment hacks that one of the biggest recurring fears is the like in his mind in his words now i didn't think this was possible but the way he said and i i tend to trust what Sam, what seymour hirsch says in general like or at least i give it i give it a second thought mm-hmm. uh is the possibility of a of a bobby kennedy jr trump uh co- like that alliance? would be insane that would be good um all and 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 he was saying because i mean it's true like there's there's good reason to think in these terms because even though Bobby Kennedy said he would never do it, on the one hand, that might be a bit of like just a bit of um something you throw out there to deflect away sure. from what you're intending. Number two, Trump did openly invite Bobby Kennedy to be in charge of a vaccine commission back in 2017, and Bobby Kennedy back in 2020 did openly admit that that was what he was offered and chose to do something else instead. But there was like an openness to work together anyway. Number three, Bobby Kennedy will be iced out of any Democratic a party position that's that's guaranteed he's not going to be given the space to have a chance to be a representative of the democratic party so then is he going to quit politics 
Is he going to like quit his or or will will he actually possibly create that thing that Seymour Hirsch war, uh, said is scaring a lot of Democratic Party leaders? I friggin hope so, because and, and if, if that happens, they should never be in the same room together. <laughs> Number one. <laughs> but that's a badass combination of that like that would be wild. Yeah. Because what would happen is, is it would force the corruption into the light because they won't let them win. So they will just do more late night election fortification that will be so obvious. You'll have like a Kennedy Trump take you get like fucking like 110 million votes or something and like all the voting places will pause at like 3 a.m. But now you'll have like Republicans and Democrats because they're not going to just give up the power. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of what I think would happen is it would just now is that good? No, because it, it feels like the only step after that would be open revolution. Or you'd have like probably more likely you'd have like a, you'd have like a military coup step in and be like because they might just be looking at me going we don't exist in a vacuum. Let's let's just just let's just play it out and say it's the most obvious stolen election ever. Like fucking three stooges, right? There's nothing that like five people in the country are like it was it was genuine, but everyone's like yo what the fuck was this shit, right? Yeah. Let's say they do something like that. It's just 2016 Trump on steroids with fucking Bobby Kennedy. Then they don't, they're not going to let go of the... They're going to be like, Biden got 111 million votes. There's going to be... The United States will be a tinderbox. And then you're going to have like the military apparatus going, if we fall, China and Russia are going to make a move because we don't exist in a vacuum. That's what you always want to do, right? Is whenever there's term- internal strife, you want to feed those flames and then make it collapse, right? Britain was trying to get us to collapse during like the Civil War, right? Um, yeah, sure. And um, that's what I think it will be. So you'll then have a military come in and say, like, we have to, like, re-adjudicate the election or some shit. And because they'll be like, it, it's about to, like, get hot. That's uh, that would no no I, I agree would and it, it would just and it's no, not and, good and, it's a horrifying outcome but you'll probably no, it, have that they'll important. fucking take over every news station in the and it'll be like from the director of the National Security Council or something and they'll be like really professional about it they're not gonna be like it was stolen they're gonna be like we have through the, like our joint and it it'll be all the bureaucratic gobbledygook they'll say well we need a re- we need to look at a you know perhaps like a snap election or something. Yeah, no, I mean, these are important things for people to think about because, yeah, like I had written an article bef- like months before the U.S., the, the 2020 elections saying like, why assume there's going to be a 2020 election? Yeah. Um, yeah. And and there's an, there were enough signs in place that there that a, at least a big chunk of the U.S. military industrial complex um, was preparing the groundwork for a continuity of government program that was put in place by Dick Cheney or at least amplified by Dick Cheney after 9-11, or at least yeah. before 9-11 even, um, to manage the USA under crisis conditions by military dictatorship um, to maintain a continuity of government. Yeah, um, That's a real thing. And, you know, the, the, you have the whole Soros outfit that has promoted and funded networks of domestic terrorists in the form of BLM, Black Lives Matter anarchists, Black Lives Matter anarchists, um, that were put to work in 2019 summer uh, to burn the United States, and they would have been put to work massively had their 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 vote fraud not succeeded the way it had um, when it did in November December of, of 
2020 and then into 2021. Um, so that's a real thing. People do need to be less naive about the fact that we don't have this pure democracy. And I think a lot of people have been at least that's one good thing about 2020, 2021 is the idea that the U.S. is a democracy has been finally people have recognized that that's a big myth. Um, there's much more to it. And so the U, the the Trump Kennedy combo is it means so much more than just another election it's really like can do, do the do, do the american people have the moral fitness to survive or not yeah no it's and it's like they're being given probably the best combination from the best of the the, the democratic sort of history representing the kennedy tradition sure. and the best of the maga republicans representing like you know the republican party used to be a not an anti-wall street party when lincoln was the like the first Republican president. Um, it was the anti-slave, pro-development, anti-empire party back in the days of Garfield and McKinley and Warren Harding, who fought and destroyed or undermined the, the League of Nations back in 1923. That was Warren friggin' Republican Harding, who said, no, America first, let's work with other nations with bilateral agreements for cooperation and development, and uh, let's not go with one world government or eugenics. That was Warren friggin' Harding, who died of oysters oyster poisoning from yeah. a, on a train from Alaska no autopsy um that's uh, that. the type of uh policy tradition that Trump revived people were confused by it because they only knew of like George Bush Dick Cheney republicanism and they forgot there was this deeper authentic republicanism before Dick Cheney and uh and the the McCarthyites um but that's what that's what you have right now. So the Americans have like one of the best sets of dynamics to work with in combat with this oligarchy. And if they can't, yeah, if Americans can't use this at this point in history to fight, it's a fastball down the center. Fuck yeah! It's like, dude. Oh man, <laughs> man, if you miss this, like you deserve to strike out. I would say, unfortunately, yeah, I mean, you need it, to get an ass kicking. Is, maybe the next mean. generation, maybe your grandkids might wake up and think. You know, I, my grandparents really messed up and I don't want to be as shameful as them yeah. and I'm going to be a better person and down the line, maybe humanity will have a better chance with our great, great grandkids who will like be the better people we weren't, but no, we have one last chance right now, as far as I see it to, to be yeah, better than they are. I don't think there's going to be great, great grandkids, man. I think they're getting ready to, to call most of the world. Yeah, but you know, that's a whole other thing. Sure. That's a whole. Um, I don't. I don't. I think that ultimately, like I got to say, if if I didn't see adults in the room shaping policy around what what I was talking about with the, with Russia, China, increasingly India, Iran, like so many other countries, if I didn't see that though that combat happening, I'd be a lot more a lot more depressed about our humanity's future, collective future, than I am. Like I'm pretty overall optimistic, even though the short term fight. Scares me. I will say it straight up. Like I'm a bit scared about like the oncoming immediate months and years into the immediate future. Very concerned. Yeah. The long term thing, I'm I've, I'm generally much more optimistic about. Uh, so um, it's a weird feeling. I don't know. We need like German to come out and make a new word for this type of feeling. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. They will. Um. For the the one you want me to play, is it the one I watched? Um, it's the one wait, wait, that a newer one, uh, the most, yeah. Cause the one that you watched might've had a glitch in it. Um, so I'm going to just shoot you right now. The most up to date, 
uh, copy link address. I'm shooting the most up-to-date one that I have, which is right here in the chat box. You now have it? Yeah, I have that one pulled up. Cool. All right, you want to just play that intro? Uh, Well, yeah, you know, it's a 24-minute documentary. I'm pretty proud of it. It was a lot of work that went into it. And uh, I really want people to spread it, like to really share Dude, it. Dude, I, I, I can just open it up and leave it on. I don't give a shit. We can tack the whole thing on the end of the episode. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, let's tack the whole thing on the ep- end of the episode. Yeah, let's let's let's. Do you want do me to just do that? I'll download it. I'll, I'll just I'll literally just stitch. That would be kind the of, of you. Episode. Yeah. So yeah, that way people can watch it, be inspired, like be freaked out a little bit. Hopefully, yeah. maybe a little edified, and and then hopefully share it because I want this to go viral. I want it to have some effect on the zeitgeist. So please, if you're listening, share this video any way you can. Yeah. All right, well, with that, man, how about you and I wrap this up, and I'll just drag this over to the display monitor and, and run it. Yeah, please. Sound good? Cool. All right, man. Yeah. Till next time, man. Till next time. Appreciate Cheers. it, Doc. Peace. It's good? Sure. Trying to get it to open up. Okay. I'll wait until you succeed. In our last episode, yeah, I fucked up. I, like, we demonstrated was, was how the Russian foreign interference narrative my, my video was guy, based on fictitious like, lies okay, cooked don't, up don't in the publish it yet. I, I want to do one last fix. And then he sent me like the most up-to-date one. And he's like, okay, I, I made all my last little little fixes now. You can you can make this one public. And I made it public and I promoted the fuck out of it. And I sent it to like Reiner Fulmick and Vera Sharav and everybody. I promoted it like crazy. Yeah, And then people started writing me back saying, hey, there's a crazy glitch at like, you know, the midway through. And I listened to it and it was like right when the drama was building to its its maximum apex, that's when my this crazy 20 second glitch kicks in. And it just took the air out of the sails. It oh, really broke my heart. So anyway, the new one is now up. That's one you have. Yeah. Let me make sure I get it going. Okay. All right, I think it's up. All right, dude, I'm going to run to the restroom. I'm just going to let this run. All right, cool. Bye. All right, dude, Matt, later. Cheers. In our last episode, we demonstrated how the Russian foreign interference narrative was based on fictitious lies cooked up in the bowels of British intelligence in order to undo the presidency of Donald Trump. The recently published Durham report even forced such disinformation outlets as CNN to admit that the FBI promoted the story known as Russiagate without any actual evidence. Yet, despite these revelations, citizens are once again falling for the exact same psyop, but this time with a Canadian twist. Rather than focus on the role of the financial oligarchy, which created and manages global intelligence agencies, military operations, and supranational corporations, Canadians from all sides of the political spectrum have found themselves falling head over heels for a newly rebranded foreign interference story told by our very own patriotic intelligence agencies. The foreign aggressor in this story is, of course, China. Canadians woke up the morning of February 17, 2023, to hear that leaked CSIS reports claimed that Beijing used intermediaries to finance the Liberal Party in the elections of 2019 and again in 2021. 
with the implied aim of installing Justin Trudeau as puppet premier of the Chinese Communist Party. Russia, 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 Russia hates the Russia. parallels to the FBI's debunked Russiagate hoax are hard to ignore. Russian, 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 Russia, In both Russia. narratives, anonymous, unverifiable sources are cited by Canadian and American intelligence agencies to advance the idea that Russia and China have infiltrated Western democracies. In neither case are the claims proven and good citizens are expected to assume their national intelligence agencies truly are patriotic organizations who truly care about their freedom. Since being made public, this gossip has been spread by extremely cooperative mainstream media outlets, outlets that are ironically funded by the very same liberal government which is supposed to be captured by the Chinese enemy. What are some of these allegations which we must assume China is guilty of? It is asserted by classified CSIS reports that the Chinese government gave $250,000 to 11 political candidates for the 2019 election. It is asserted that Chinese agents were assisting Canadian candidates running for political offices. It is asserted that the Chinese government interfered with the nomination of Hang Dong as the Liberal Party candidate in Don Valley North. The Chinese government ran an orchestrated machine to ensure a minority Liberal government was returned and that Beijing was determined that the Conservatives did not win. The Chinese government stopped the Conservative Party and ensured that select Conservative candidates were defeated the Globe and Mail asserts that Chinese government officials have taken actions to target conservative MP Michael Chong, his family and other MPs and their families. Even former Conservative Party leader Aaron O'Toole has come out asserting that his failure as a leader had less to do with his support for draconian lockdowns and everything to do with Chinese government interference. The difficulty in assessing the truthfulness or dishonesty of these allegations is challenging, to say the least. No one who has read the CSIS reports has been allowed to speak of their content due to Canada's secrecy laws. Meanwhile, the few who have read them, such as former Governor General David Johnston, says they are full of hot air. And others who are allowed to read them, such as Pierre Poilievre, have turned down the offer. Pull me into a room, stamp public documents secret, and then tell me I can't speak. Poilievre's excuse for not reading the reports is that if he does, then he will be forced to not speak about what he read since they are still classified. But if he doesn't read them, then he is free to speculate freely about their content endlessly. As citizens who don't have access to the classified CSIS report itself, we find ourselves asking, who can we trust? David Johnston's well-known connections to the Trudeau family make his opinions appear worthless in the eyes of many who doubt the validity of his report. So, let's take a step back and look at the problem from another vantage point. Since this information is coming from Canada's intelligence agencies, maybe it would be helpful to take a deep breath, step back from the drama and ask, what exactly is CSIS, or the RCMP for that matter? And are they the patriotic, freedom-loving institutions we've been told? Or 
is a darker picture of another foreign power found to be steering our governments and undermining our democracies, which may not have either Russian or Chinese characteristics. Formed on March 6, 1946, the UK-USA Signals Agreement established what became known as the Five Eyes that soon involved the global dragnet of intelligence agencies led by Britain's GCHQ and MI6. Soon, other Anglo-Saxon spy agencies such as Canada's Communications Security Establishment and RCMP joined into the alliance, along with partner agencies in Australia and New Zealand. It is no coincidence that March 6, 1946 was also the same day that Winston Churchill delivered his infamous Iron Curtain speech in Fulton, Missouri, setting into motion the framework of the Cold War. In the Baltic, to Trieste in the Adriatic, an Iron Curtain has descended across the continent. Behind that line lie all the capitals of the ancient states of Central and Eastern Europe. Under this new order ushered in by President Truman and Churchill, America's OSS was disbanded, and President Franklin Roosevelt's dream of a US-Russia-China alliance to shape the post-war world was destroyed. In this new scheme for a new world order, America's closest allies that fought by her side to prevent the success of the Nazi war machine were now rebranded as America's enemies while America's enemies became her closest allies. An Anglo-American special relationship was launched by Truman and on September 8, 1947, a new intelligence service was created modeled on Britain's MI6 called the Central Intelligence Agency. During the Cold War, Anglo-Saxon governments worked together both to conduct asymmetric warfare and espionage against Russia and China abroad while also spying on citizens within the nations of the Five Eyes directly. Since it is illegal for national governments of the Five Eyes to infringe upon the civil liberties of their own citizens through mass surveillance, it was deemed expedient for the Five Eyes to create a project dubbed Echelon in order to coordinate spying on citizens globally within and outside of the Alliance itself. The Five Eyes agencies were so secretive that even elected government officials did not know of its existence until the 1970s. Take the case of Australia's Prime Minister, Gough Whitlam. As soon as Whitlam discovered the existence of this agency's tentacles within his own nation, he demanded that it be shut down. But a day before he was to announce his plan to the Australian Parliament, he was called into the Governor General's office and was promptly fired. That's right. For Commonwealth members of the Five Eyes, the actual head of state is the monarchy's unelected governor-general and not the prime minister. As such, prime ministers can, and in the case of Australia, have been fired for disrupting imperial plans. It is well known that the Five Eyes interfaces closely with another organization called the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or simply NATO. NATO was created in 1949 to bypass the influence which Russia and China held within the United Nations Security Council. And this organization wasted no time to incorporate leading Nazis into its governing structure. 
Between 1950 until the 1980s, NATO had multiple unreconstructed Nazis in control of multiple departments, including several consecutive commanders of Central Europe. If you find this hard to believe, let's have a look at a few of them. Adolf Heusinger, Chief of Staff of the General Nazis during World War II. In the post-war age, he found new employment as Chief of the West German Army and General of the Bundeswehr from 1957 to 1961. From 1961 to 1964, Heusinger became chairman of the NATO Military Committee, but he wasn't alone. The position of NATO Commander-in-Chief of Allied Forces Central Europe was a position that was filled solely by former Nazis for 16 years straight, between 1967 and 1983. Even Hitler's intelligence chief, Reinhard Galen, found new employment under the CIA's Alan Dulles as the head of West German intelligence from 1956 until 1968. Among those World War II killers who worked with Galen in Europe, was Stefan Bandera, the vicious Ukrainian fascist, and thousands of members of the Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists, whose skills were put to work carrying out asymmetric warfare against socialist-leaning leaders of Europe and also the population more broadly. In The Empire on Which the Black Sun Never Set, historian Cynthia Chung noted that a vast secret fascist army of Nazis and Italian fascist stay-behinds was organized under NATO. These stay-behinds were used to carry out assassinations of anti-imperial leaders like Italy's former Prime Minister Aldo Moro in 1978, Sweden's Prime Minister Olaf Palm in 1986, known as Sweden's JFK, Italian industrialist Enrico Mattei in 1960, Turkey's Prime Minister Adnan Menderes in 1961, along with two cabinet colleagues, and U.S. President Kennedy in 1963, and multiple attempts against French President Charles de Gaulle. Chung writes that on top of targeted assassinations, NATO's secret armies were to be used against the people. The desire was that by staging false flag operations that were blamed on communists, Panic and revulsion would be invoked, sending voters flocking to the welcoming arms to so-called secure right-wing governments. In 1959, an internal NATO briefing meeting dated June 1st of that year slipped into the hands of a British newspaper, which revealed that the task of the stay-behind units had been switched from confronting a Soviet invasion to confronting an internal subversion. The secret armies were henceforth to play a determining role, not only in the general policy level of domestic warfare, but also in the politics of domestic emergency. What this meant was that a secret army of stay-behind units, under the direction of NATO, in absence of a Soviet threat, were to direct their actions to the internal matters which would include espionage and acts of terrorism on the citizens of Europe, with the support and cover of those nation's police units this would be used to further centralize control within right-wing governments who supported the NATO apparatus. 
of the dozens of cases of domestic terror unleashed by this operation across Europe. The most well-documented is the Years of Lead, launched in Italy in 1969, which saw hundreds of bombs detonated by supposedly communist terrorist cells in shopping malls, trains, and other public venues killing hundreds. As was revealed in declassified reports, these terror cells did not receive their funding, support, and directives from either the Kremlin or Beijing, as duped citizens were led to believe, but rather by NATO and the Five Eyes. NATO's strategy of tension finally became public knowledge, dubbed Operation Gladio, when Italian Prime Minister Andreotti revealed it to the world in a public speech in 1992. The significance for Canada will be known shortly. The growth of the surveillance state across the Five Eyes nations has been made possible by the belief that terrorism, both foreign and domestic, is such a threat that resisting it requires the abandonment of civil liberties in order to protect the greater good. But is this popular belief true? In 2016, a Canadian appeals court overruled guilty sentences handed down to a Canadian couple who were caught by the RCMP before their 2016 jihadi plot to bomb a public venue on Canada Day could occur. Why did the appeals judge overrule their sentence? Because on closer examination, it was discovered that every single member of the operation which radicalized the young people, trained them to make bombs, and even scripted their attack were RCMP informants. Earlier cases of controlled domestic terrorist movements in Canada saw CSIS, that is Canada's Security and Intelligence Service, erase thousands of hours of wiretaps of Sikh terrorists that detonated bombs in 1984, which led to 329 dead in the worst act of aviation terrorism until 9-11. What was on those wiretaps that CSIS was so afraid the public would see? Is it possible that those Sikh terrorists were also groomed by Canadian intelligence agencies, just as the more recent jihadi terror cell had been groomed in 2016? Or is it more similar to the case of the FBI handlers of Egyptian informant Ahmad Salem, who ignored the dozens of warnings of their informant and let the 1993 World Trade Center bombing take place, even though it could have easily been prevented? In that case, Salem had the wits to secretly record hundreds of hours of conversation with his FBI handlers, which were then made public by the New York Times on October 28, 1993. By destroying their wiretaps, CSIS ensured that these questions will never be answered. And while Canadians were told that only racists and white supremacists resist government lockdowns or promote trucker protests, it is too often forgotten that Canada's largest white supremacist group, known as the Heritage Front, was revealed to have been founded by a CSIS agent named Grant Bristol, who ran the organization between 1988 and 1994. Anglo-Canadian intelligence controls of domestic terrorism, which reek of Operation Gladio tactics, can even be traced as far back as the nominally Maoist terrorist organization Le Front de Libération de Québec of the 1960s 
that set dozens of mailbox bombs off across the province. Not only did the RCMP security services get caught red-handed managing FLQ cells, spreading FLQ graffiti on buildings, and even supplying explosives to the group itself, but the FLQ's intellectual leader, Pierre Vallier, was also the editor-in-chief of the very same magazine, Cité Libre, which was run for a decade by none other than Canada's Prime Minister, Pierre Elliott Trudeau. As Pierre Vallier himself later wrote in his execution of Pierre Laporte, it was a special operation division of the RCMP that oversaw the murder of the kidnapped deputy premier of Quebec in 1970, and the illegal arrest of over 400 Quebec citizens under the fog of domestic terrorism, itself a construct of the same department of the RCMP and the Strategic Operations Centre, which interfaced between Pierre Elliott Trudeau directly and the military during the crisis. Due to the crisis caused by this terrorist cell, martial law was imposed onto Quebec for the month of October in 1970, as the FLQ terrorists who kidnapped Deputy Premier Pierre Laporte refused to negotiate with authorities. In 1977, the Quebec government launched the Keeble Commission to investigate the evidence of the RCMP's role in controlling FLQ terror cells. This was followed by the federal Macdonald Commission, which unveiled more abuses by the Canadian intelligence community during its four-year inquiry of 1977 until 1981. In its final report, published in 1981, the Macdonald Commission recommended removing national security matters from the RCMP's jurisdiction by creating a new, partially civilian spy agency. Trudeau's right-hand man and fellow Cité Libre writer, Michael Pitfield, oversaw the creation of this new agency dubbed the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, CSIS, in 1983, as a branch of the Privy Council Office, in order to continue psychological operations, but now under a new name. The origin of CSIS and parallels to the operation of NATO's secret armies, which carried out the murder of Prime Minister Aldo Moro in 1977, following the identical pattern as seen in the case of Quebec's Pierre Laporte, is jarring to say the least. The next time the Emergency Measures Act would be used in Canada was by another Trudeau Prime Minister on behalf of the Five Eyes over 50 years later. If anyone wishes to look through the voluminous RCMP CSIS files accumulated on Pierre Trudeau's strange connections with the FLQ, they would be out of luck, as historians were informed in 2019 that the entire Trudeau record archive was secretly destroyed by CSIS in 1989, simply because someone deemed they weren't interesting. Canadians and Americans have forgotten that the abuses of these Five Eyes intelligence agencies was already exposed over 45 years ago during the 1975 Church Committee hearings and 1976 House Select Committee on Assassinations. These hearings unveiled such secret CIA projects as MKUltra, Project Mockingbird, and COINTELPRO the latter which was directly implicated in terrorizing anti-imperial movements such as those led by Martin Luther King Jr., Fred Hampton, and Malcolm X, under the pretext that these organizations were communist fronts. 
The reason why Canadians even have an organization called CSIS in the first place is because the terrorist deploying branch of the RCMP Special Operations Units were exposed over 40 years ago. But the idea that they are now clean patriotic agencies is a myth. These agencies were created and operated by fascists throughout the Cold War and carried out atrocities, terrorism and assassinations under the name of fighting communism in order to convince Western citizens that we had to give up our liberties to save our freedoms. It is clear that the threat of communism was used to silence those who were actual patriots of their countries and were leaders of democratic movements who were called communists and this absurdly continues to this day and we continue to buy into it. This is well documented and is a truth we need to acknowledge when looking into what these five eyes and NATO intelligence agencies have been consistently working towards for over 78 years. Although the Cold War is said to have ended in 1991, the techniques used by Operation Gladio to maintain constant terror in the population has continued with the war on Islamic terrorism. But now that Russia and China have decided to resist the unipolar agenda for global world government and depopulation, the old boogeyman of communist infiltration of our Western democracies has been unveiled once more. And almost like a magic spell, Western media consumers are falling back into their old Cold War profiles and forgetting about the real agencies that murdered the Kennedy brothers in 1963 and 1968. They are forgetting about the false flags that enmeshed us into a war in Vietnam and carried out bombings of World Trade Centers in 1993 and 2001. Oh, yeah. The question is now, if you have this knowledge, do you want to continue to drink Five Eyes Kool-Aid portraying Russia and China as your boogeyman once again? Or do you want to fight the real enemy that has infiltrated your government?